In the first reading, uh, Ezra reads the law of God. The first reading is from the book of Nehemiah, the eighth chapter. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square, before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of law. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way. Eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. This is the word of the Lord. In today's gospel lesson, Jesus goes to his hometown of Nazareth uh, to preach. Holy Gospel according to St. Luke in the fourth chapter. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on a Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. 
And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. This is the gospel of the Lord. Y'all remember Y2K? <laughs> you remember the big hullabaloo that, that that caused when that was coming up? We thought the world was going to come to an end. You know, we thought every computer in the world is going to shut down because it can't handle two zeros in the year space. And we didn't know what was going to happen because a zero is a space holder. It's nothing. And, uh, and so everybody's scrambling, trying to figure out how are we going to do this? How are we going to switch all these computers in the world to a four-digit space? And then Y2K came and went and nothing happened. <laughs> nothing happened. And, uh, of course, now, you know, it's four digits. You know, we've got it, you know, everything done. But nothing happened. And it was amazing. But, boy, there was some panic, wasn't there? And, and doom and gloom, and people thought it was the second coming, and, and, uh, and it was just going to be the end. Well, what a difference a millennium makes. And it turns out sometimes it just doesn't make a whole lot of difference. But if we were to look back a millennium from now and look at the world now compared to the world then, there's a big difference, right? And I, I thought about that when I was looking at the lessons today and, and looking at Ezra's preaching and Jesus preaching and thinking about the difference. Jesus was in a different millennium, although he was only about 500 years after Ezra. And so I thought, well, maybe it'll be good for us to kind of look at that for just a second. We heard the story about Ezra. Nehemiah had come back to Jerusalem. Some of the people had come out of the captivity back in Jerusalem, but it was a mess. That Jerusalem hadn't been rebuilt. The walls hadn't been rebuilt. The city wasn't protected. So Nehemiah was sent back to rebuild the walls, which he rebuilt all the walls of Jerusalem in like 56 days. He must have had a lot of people working to do that. But he was a master builder, and he got that done. But part of what he wanted to do was not just rebuild the walls of the city, but to, to bring about some sort of a revival among the Jewish people that were there because they had gotten real lax with their faith. And so Ezra the priest was given the job of getting them back on track. So Ezra gathers all the people, the, the men, the women, anybody that could understand, gathered them all in the square, got out the books of Moses, which is what Judaism was based on. He got them out and started reading. Now you notice it says he started at daybreak and read till midday. That's at least six hours. You know, and the people were there, and when he started reading, what'd they do? They stood up for six hours. And he read from the book of Moses and explained what it meant. And he was, it said, he was above the people, so he was in, so to speak, a pulpit. And he was reading and explaining what that word meant. And the people were cut to the quick by what they heard. And it said they were weeping and they were on the ground with their faces on the ground before God because of what they heard in that word. And they were convicted because of the way they were living and how far away they had gotten 
from that word. And, and it just, it got to him. And so when Ezra was done, he said, all right, he said, y'all, he said, get up and go home and celebrate. Go home and rejoice. Let things be turned around and let's celebrate this word and let's celebrate this revival. Go home and eat and drink sweet wine and, and make sure that you give some to somebody that doesn't have anything prepared or that wasn't able to be here. So go take something to them too and make this a celeb- celebration for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And I'm thinking, wow, what a response to Ezra's preaching. Well, now we fast forward into the next millennium, and here's Jesus, and he goes to his hometown. He goes to the synagogue, as was his custom, it said. So he get there, and he stood up to read. They brought in the scroll of Isaiah, and he read the selection that he wanted to read out of that, rolled up the scroll, put it back, and then he sat down and started to explain it and started to teach. And what he said was, Today, this prophecy that I read is fulfilled in your hearing. The fulfillment is the one you just heard read it, is what he's saying. But then he goes on when he's explaining it, and he says, but now this is for the poor, the oppressed, the weak, the the blind, the, the lame, the suffering, For you leaders of the synagogue, you people that have it all together, this isn't for you. It's for those that are willing to listen and that really need it. Well, they didn't like that. So what was their response to Jesus' preaching? Let's take him out of town and throw him off a cliff. A little different than Ezra's response. So that's what they were going to do. Well, it didn't work out for him, and he left. So then I was thinking about that, and I was thinking, all right, well, what about the response to this word today? What is that response today? You go out there, and there's, man, it runs the gamut of of responses. It's all over the place. Some people out there, they just ignore it. They just figure, well, you know, it's a nice quaint little book, but it's so outdated and antiquated. You know, it's, you know, we don't use science books from the 1940s anymore. Why are we going to listen to something that's thousands of years old? It doesn't really apply because the world is so different. So they just kind of write it off and ignore it. There's other people that want to go a little bit further than that, and they want to take any references to this out of the public arena completely. They want to just scrub, scrub it out of everything. There's other people that say, well, you know, this is all good and well, but we really need to add something to this. So, you know, you've got the Muslims that, that the Old Testament isn't complete enough, so they've added the Quran that was written after that. You have other religions that have their own writings. You have uh, even uh, the Book of Mormon is defined as a further revelation of Jesus Christ because what's here isn't complete. And so we need to add to that. And then you've got some people out there that if you claim any kind of allegiance to this, they want to cut your head off. 
So you got all those different kinds of responses to what's in here. But what about us? I mean, we're gathered here in this place around the Word. We have, have respect for this Word. We accept this as God's Word. We love this. And so we want to hear from it and we want to gather around it. In fact, I think it's faithfulness to this and because in some ways it gets corrupted or the interpretation of it gets corrupted and that's part of the reason at least why Emmanuel even exists. It's because of what we believe about this. About this word. But then how do we respond to it? So we sit here and we listen to it read and we listen to somebody like me explain it or try to explain it. But are we eager to hear what it has to say? Are we eager like the people in Ezra's time? Or do we sometimes, for the one hour that we gather, find ourselves getting distracted and our minds wandering and going off someplace and maybe thinking about all the stuff I have to do today or, or an assignment that I have to get done or, or where am I going to eat lunch <clears throat> or the king cake that's waiting out there. You know, I mean, you know, what are we thinking about and how focused are we on the word and how eager are we to hear what it has to say? And then when we leave here and we go out and say, good sermon, pastor, you know, which is fine. I'm not criticizing anybody for doing that, although most of the time it's the children's sermon that we're talking about, I think. <laughs> but anyway, but then what happens when we get out there and we start having fellowship? How, you know, does it really affect us? Has it really stuck with us? Is it, are we thinking about how it's going to change our lives? When we walk out this door and go out there, how much of it do we take with us? What's our response to the Word of God once we get out there? I'm thinking of a little bit of a clue or a key to how we might respond is to take a look at, at what Jesus quoted when he opened up the scroll of Isaiah, the prophecy that he quoted, and then what he did after that. So listen to what he quoted again. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And as he reads that, who is he really talking about? Who's he talking to? Well, he's talking to you and me. Because we are the ones that without him are poor. Oh, not in a material way. But we're poor in spirit. We're poor in comparison to God. We're the ones that are imprisoned by our slavery to our own sin, our own desires, our own desire to do what we want to do and not what God wants to do. We're the blind, the ones that without Christ, we can't see the way. We have no clue how to get to God or have a good relationship with God. That's us, oppressed, 
we're oppressed by a crushing weight of the guilt of our sin. The, the weight of knowing that because of that we'll be separated from God. Jesus is talking about us and our need, our need to have him, our need to have a savior, our need to have somebody fix the situation that exists between us and God on our own. And so Jesus said, that's what I do for you. And then when he finished this incident, when this whole thing with the cliff and all this stuff was over with, what did he do then? He went out to demonstrate what this looks like, what he's talking about. He went to Capernaum. First thing happens, he runs into a man that's possessed by a demon, an impure spirit, it says. And he heals that man and drives that out. And then he goes to Simon's house. Simon's mother-in-law had a really high fever and was close to death. And Jesus cures her. And then the evening of that same day, everybody started bringing people to Jesus with all kinds of ailments, all kinds of problems, physical, emotional, spiritual, whatever, all kinds of things. And he laid his hands on them and he healed them all. What was the prophecy? The poor, the oppressed, the blind, those people. And he said, this is what this looks like. And that's what he's done for us, isn't it? Have you ever been, have you had a a point in your life where where you know somehow it was God that was there that healed you and it might have been a physical healing and surviving something that was really life-threatening? I've been there, I know what that's like. It may have been some sort of emotional issue or a spiritual darkness and a period of doubt you were going through. We all have stories of how God has been there for us, how Christ has come and has healed us. That's what he's done for us. That's him living out this prophecy that he quoted in this place. And then after Jesus went out and did this, the very next thing that Luke tells us he did was to start gathering his disciples. He went and found Simon and James and John fishing out there and he said, guys, I want you to join me in what I'm doing. I want you to fish for people now. I want you to catch people. So come with me and do what I do. And so now, that invitation comes to you too. So now Jesus says, I want you to join me. I want you to do what I do, what I have done for you. I want you to let this sink in. And I want you to understand this and realize that there are poor, oppressed, blind, suffering people out there that need what's in here. And I want you to do what I do. And so when you walk out that door, Jesus says, I want you to go to those people. I want you to take food to the people that didn't have any prepared, like Ezra said. I want you to go out in joy because it's the joy I give you that is what strengthens you and makes it so that you can go out there and do what I do. That's our call, to gather around the Word, to learn, to be strengthened, and then to go and do what Jesus does. Amen.